what I loved about the lighting design in the atrium is that it does change that the day and whether it was with the circadian lighting or you know the the wellness of people in mind it, it actually becomes an art display I think because by day the the glass ceiling in the atrium you know you can see planes overhead but by night it turns into a light display because of where the lights are positioned on the balconies and on the different levels. That's me Hamish Kilburn the editor of Hotel Designs during my interview with this episode's special guests. I was discussing the creative lighting scheme of a project that I reviewed years ago and didn't realise until I was researching this episode that my special guests from DPA Lighting, well, they designed it. Welcome to Design Pod, the podcast for all creative enthusiasts. In this episode, sponsored by Geberit, we're putting circadian lighting under the spotlight, a topic that has for many years sparked debate in response to neuroscientific studies. Despite its value being proven time and time again, circadian lighting remains at the mercy of client budgets, and it's usually the first thing that's stripped out in value engineering stages of any project. I'm hoping that by speaking to two leading lighting designers, Michael Curry and Mark Tweedle, both from DPA Lighting, who have worked with leading interior designers around the world, that we can open up the conversation to understand the future purpose of circadian lighting and how designed properly, this technology can help transform a space. To really define this project, I caught up with Mark and Michael from their studio in London. I think we should just start by casting back to to where it all began for for both of you. Um, when and how and why did you decide that you wanted to become lighting designers? Michael, perhaps we can start with you. Basically, I studied three-dimensional design, as a lot of our designers do, and I was spat out the other end. I did some fairly good work and some terrible work as well. And then um, <laughs> my first job was in central London in Soho, where a lot of people start at SKK with Shuke Khan. And um, that was it. I was there for six years or so, burning the candle at both ends and set up the consultancy side, but we were selling products as well. Mm. Um, and I never looked back. You know, I was on a starting salary of £60. I mean, this isn't like us talking about the 1950s or anything. It's like he doesn't pay very much. <laughs> and then uh, a couple of years later, I was like running the, the show there. So, and I stayed there for six years, which is a, you know, like, so, and then DPA, DPA was my second job and I've been here for 22, 23 years now. So wow. doing, doing lighting design for, I don't know, 28 years, nearly. Yeah. yeah. So a fair Amazing. stint. It's a good stint. And, and <laughs> yeah. yourself, Mark? Uh, well, no, nowhere near as long as that. <laughs> yeah, so I, um, my background really was particularly educational was in um, interior design, um, which again is sort of another road in for quite a few people. So yeah, I studied that, enjoyed that immensely, came out uh, in the middle of a recession, <laughs> I was scratching my head thinking, how am I going to earn a living? And much like lots of people at that time. Um, and stumbled across it really um, an advert a sort of a job advert came across my desk and I thought oh, that's interesting and it's got sort of the skills that I I know sort of design you know drawing um, and I just thought yeah give that a go started off early days doing sort of luxury residential design also with some supply side of stuff so really getting in there with you know the product specs and um, boxing things up, driving them to clients' houses, you know, really getting into it. And then sort of 
from that have been into more commercial um, office workplace, daylighting, done all sorts of things um, around that. Uh, and then found myself here where we're settling in. Yeah, nicely. Amazing. And it feels to me like it's a great time to be a lighting designer. You know, you're, you're working with amazing designers, with amazing clients, but also there, there seems to be a lot more understanding in terms of what lighting designers do and the value they add to projects I think because of you know science but also us understanding or capturing wellness more to allow spaces to to work harder when did you see that shift turn in terms of like clients really not necessarily clients but the the conception of lighting designers changing I think in in terms of what we do DPA we I don't know 70 80 percent of our work is hotel hospitality so, and, and the Arcadian Rhythm intake onto this is really obviously relevant. We talked about it the other day and how it touches everything, even mm. though it doesn't have to be on the sort of technical side. It's even just on the enjoying a space, you know, whether there's a, num- a lot of daylight in, which, you know, is, is more architectural. But we've noticed through hotels or through hotel operators that they are putting, uh, they're putting lighting designers as a, a required element to the whole design process um, in the same way as they would lighting control as well Mm -hmm. you know we would insist on that previously I don't think we really had too much clout Um, we could shout and scream all we wanted to but most of the time they would either go with it because they really believed in it and Mm -hmm. most of the time they did or they would just say no get that and possibly redesign some of the areas just because it didn't hit the budget because they never had a budget so I think now that there's a as a line item, lighting designer for a first yeah. start, plus a budget for a lighting design, whether they get it right or wrong, wrong is another thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, 80% of the budget goes onto the ballroom and it's like, yeah. why would you do that? That's crazy. So I think everyone's learning as well, you yeah. know, because project teams are learning once they 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 start to work with us. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really good. And I think there's a lot of clients and also designers that completely put us on a not a pedestal but they they listen to us and they value because they're paying you know fairly good um budget to the design of the the lighting and you've worked on some incredible projects which we will go on to reference but the topic of of this episode is really on circadian lighting and i think the thing with lighting is we, we can go down many different avenues but circadian lighting itself is a massive topic i feel as if it's hugely relevant right now has been for a few years the biggest challenge i think is everyone understands the benefits from you know a wellness perspective and you know the way spaces behave but it's getting it into the budget what are the the sort of solutions there to inject circadian lighting into a lighting scheme not necessarily to be affordable but to be accessible in the design and really kind of work hard so that it kind of passes through those those kind of points of the design where things get thrown out yeah I mean unfortunately it it does become the first thing to get you know across the cross through on the budgets you know it's that it's that additional layer of light you know often Often it's hidden, it's concealed, you know, the best circadian lighting schemes, you know, you don't see where the light's coming from, you know, it's, it's, it's in a joinery detail or it's hidden washing up onto the ceiling. So often it's in addition to the kind of base scheme lighting. So, you know, someone sees a figure for that and it's, it's very easy to cross that out to make some savings. Um, the technology as well is it's not as cheap um, as it probably could be. There's still a bit of a premium on it. So you're paying a bit of an uplift and the control side of it as well. It, you know, there's that 
additional time um, commissioning the schemes, making sure that they're set up correctly and that people don't mess with them because as soon as someone starts fiddling with these schemes, uh, you know, you've got very cool light in, you know, at the night, in the middle of the night, it, it really looks terrible and people are, you know, get it out, turn it off, we don't want it. So it, it's that sort of balance of getting it right, um, not putting too much in um, and sort of holding the client's hand through the process and making sure that it's set up correctly and, and doesn't leave them with a bad taste in their mouth. Yeah, subtly. And just so that our listeners are aware of what obviously circadian lighting is, it's all mm. around circadian rhythm. So it's lighting that would essentially change and, and mimic the, yeah. the daylight outside. There's lots of research on, on this topic. And I feel as if it's definitely been injected in hotel designs for the last couple of years. And what I love, yeah. I, I would say so, yeah, but I think you guys were quite at the forefront so one project I just want to reference is the Hilton uh, Amsterdam Schiphol I was actually one of the first journalists in what I loved about the lighting design in the atrium is that it does change throughout the day and whether it was with the circadian lighting or you know the the wellness of people in mind it, it actually becomes an art display I think because by day the the glass ceiling in the atrium you know you can see planes overhead but by night it turns into a light display because of where the lights are positioned on the balconies and on the different levels what was the thinking there how did you come to that conclusion as that was going to be the lighting design I think it was HBA wasn't it who worked on that project um, was, yeah yeah and, and um, Meccano were doing the exterior absolutely and the, yeah. um, and the architecture as well so it's the a beautiful room, hotel it's incredible yeah and it's looking smart now I was there recently and you know, still sort of, sort of it was quite a while back. You all know better than I do because when it was all completed. But I, I yeah. think... Um, 2014, say, I think. lighting is, is very human-centric. So we, you know, from as long as I recall, that's always the way that we've designed. Um, so whether it's a residential project or a, a hotel, you know, it's not our space, it's their space, it's the client space. Mm. It's the any patrons that are going there. And I think for, um, for for that particular space, what we wanted to achieve is this there's there's sort of nuances in the design as well. And you know, we could sort of it's like art, you could sell somebody an idea just by telling you a, a nice story about it, even if you hated it as soon as you walked in the room. But there was a there was an element that we wanted to use as a thread that ran through the whole of the ground floor public areas, culminating in the um, in the lobby. And I was desperate not to put in the typical laser downlights. I hate all of that. And it's some, something that sort of resonates in the whole of our practice anyway, that you don't just add in loads of lights and then dim it back. I mean, that's a bad way of designing. Mm. So, you know, you'll see within the scheme, you'll know there's no lighting other than the lighting in the ceiling in the atrium. So basically you're reliant on all of the lighting around the areas where people are. So the, the reason I'm saying that is that you know, put the lighting where people are, don't put it in the middle of the space, don't floodlight the space. And all of the notes, I know I saw your email you sent um, earlier on today about the about the atrium. It's interesting you, you, you reviewed it the first time. All of those little dots were intentional, that we knew that it would light in the ceiling because we know from bitter experience how a bad cove detail within a skylight can be a disastrous lit effect so you see all the lights. And we put all these tiny little points in and I went back there every, you know, I was there a few months probably for meetings, but I went back there several times doing tests on the space as the whole thing developed and then we signed the design off. So there's a lot of dialogue um, and a lot of it was to do with daylight and a lot of it was to do with how the transition of the spaces, because it's a, 
Um, it's a lounge and a reception, so everyone touches that mm. hub. And what Mark was saying is really important. You know, I often say, and the, and the team here get bored with the same things that I say, but I really do believe in it, that, you know, lighting design, you know, 50% of it is control because yeah. you, can, you can have a disastrous project with bad lighting control. Mm. So and that comes back to skating rhythm. You know, if you've got something that's too bright all the way through the day, that's going to completely screw up somebody's mind. You know, it's just not going to be a very pleasant environment to be in. Whereas if you've got that balance really well through the morning, nice and bright and fresh in the morning, um, drops down a little bit lunchtime, a bit more early evening, and then really nice and moody at nighttime, then get, get yourself to bed after you've had your last whiskey at the uh, bar in the middle of the uh, atrium. <laughs> Before your flight so in the morning. We think about this all the time, even though it, it, it appears as though it's sort of easy because you put it down like there, you put a line of light there, mm. you're using some colour change in the ceiling. We, we had that, we were going to have that set to sunset so that it sort of mapped the sunset as well. Oh, so wow. that it sort of like all of a sudden appeared when it was black because you have that beautiful inky and mauve colour and then it goes inky blue and then it goes black. And mm-hmm. So we were trying to do that, but it was a little bit above what they really thought they could do. And it was not. Yeah, I think also that was that was like eight years ago or around that sort of time. It's, it's amazing right. how, you know, technology has come so far since it then. Has, but yeah. It's not all about the technology. You can't rely on that. It actually has yeah. to come from the, the human centric idea, as, as you were mentioning. And I think also that particular project within the interior design at least like every detail was referencing the place or referencing something to, to do with the culture of Amsterdam that was a little bit you know that the, you know you wouldn't necessarily know until you sort of ask the questions whereas that particular moment was just a moment where everyone could just exhale and just enjoy what was happening with with the ceiling it flipped it on its head quite literally you know positioning the lights above as opposed to down but it was definitely a memorable part of my stay let's talk about where where we're at with circadian lighting because can you see in the next five years, you know, hotel groups really grasping and injecting circadian lighting designs and schemes in their projects? Or is, are we still a way off in terms of, you know, that being that because if, if money was no object and budget was, was yeah. no, you know, obstacle in the way, I feel as if circadian lighting would be injected into most hotels and hospitality spaces because it makes sense. What's preventing it from moving that step forward? I think you're right. I think I think it will. It will come through. Um, some of these sort of early adopters, the healthcare industry, uh, the workplace um, have kind of really, you know, gone for it and um, started adopting it early. Uh, control is a big problem. You know, it, the, particularly the early adopters really struggled getting the control right. And I think it put a lot of people off. As things, you know, get better and there's, a, you know, a bit more of a standardization of protocols, um, it will become easier to adopt it and integrate it. Yeah, it will come through. There's a there's a whole other area. You know, there's the back of house areas to to consider. Um, you know, because people working late, working in very deep plan, maybe underground elements of of schemes. You know, there, there's a whole there's a whole side of it there. Just looking at you know how can you improve you know a shift workers day to day by just bringing the, the the color tuning down to a warmer temperature you know a couple of hours before their shift finishes you know those sort of things are really important uh, not just the guests you know the hotel staff as well so yeah it will take time it will keep pushing it um the cost will come down because more people be using it and become easier to to get onto projects so yeah it's exciting it's um it's, it's a good time to be looking at it
That's a good point about, well, I think also as legislation that is not necessarily lighting, it's more architecture, because now you can't have a, you can't build a space or do any renovations for a space without allowing a working space, this is without allowing for natural daylight. Yes, well, so yeah. we have that as, um, you know, one thing. And then obviously we need to then protect that and make sure that we don't have like 4,000k lights within that space that make the overall appearance, both internally and externally, look terrible. Yeah. So I think clients do appreciate it. Mm. And I think cost is a big issue here because it's so, you know, even though we're still accepted and the budgets are there, we're constantly being screwed down yeah. to save a bit of money. And I'm always battling, we're, we're battling and saying, look, save your money on the things that you don't see. And then they'll go back mm. and they'll say, okay, well, half, could you, rather than saving 50 grand, can you save, can you at least save 20? So yeah, I think money is, yeah. is a big issue. And if we can put forward um, a good argument for either saving money, lighting control is a great example in terms of don't have all of your lights on all of the time, not only is it wrong, but also you're going to save a lot of money, then it's, you know, that's an easy argument to win. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned um, interior design and architecture. I just, I just want to know in terms of how you're lighting spaces, what's, what's the key difference when you're lighting exterior spaces to interior spaces in terms of your approach, in terms of like your, what your starting point really, where the light would hang or where the light would, would come from, from a, a landscape perspective to, to interior. What's, what are the vast and the key differences? And do you see circadian lighting working more interior? than exterior because obviously be you've got the natural light yeah it'd be entirely interior really um uh, there's this there's also this sort of balance between um the kind of health benefits but also the kind of visual sort of look of this changeable lighting and you kind of got to marry the two so you, know, you don't want a very cool cold blue you know environment or a particular finish might not really suit a very cool white, you know, an internal finish. So it really is a juggling act of kind of adding those health benefits, uh, but also making sure the space just looks fabulous. You know, uh, there's no real call, I wouldn't say externally. I might, some of the things I'm really interested in is light pollution. Um, I've done a lot of work in sort of dark sky um, movement. So you know, we're all about kind of minimizing light externally, putting a light only where it's needed and minimizing mm -hmm. light. So, you know, we're, we're trying to try to bring the kind of external environments much lower, much further down. This series of Design Pod is sponsored by Geberit, a bathroom manufacturer that has just launched its latest hotel guest experience report for 2023 working in collaboration with some of the UK's leading architects and design pioneers. The publication, now in its third year, explores the challenges and opportunities facing hotels today. And it's a must read for anyone designing hotels for the future. Part of your portfolio that I find incredibly interesting and, and actually interesting in terms of where the industry is heading is um, your work on high-end ships. Obviously, mm -hmm. you've, you've worked with P&O, the Iona, but you're also working with Cunard on the Queen Anne with some incredible designers, including um, David Collins Studio, Richmond um, and more. What's the consideration there when you're lighting those spaces as opposed to hotels? Or is it actually very similar because you're trying to create those or mimic those spaces as being the same? I think we're doing just that. I think the reason they've been chosen um, is really just to elevate the design. Um, and again, you know, we, we worked on, I can't remember the first ship, but it was 19, probably 58, something like that. And then there was a massive 
time period where they couldn't afford lighting designers um, or just, you know, maybe they just couldn't afford good, good designers. And I think they're seeing the value for it now because, you know, it's not a cheap thing to go on a cruise. And the, the mindset of a cruise 10 years ago is totally different to what it is now. So I think it's the same thing. We approach it in the same way. There's just a lot of technical issues like, you know, the vibrations from ships, yeah. there's certain safety. There's new lamps that are 24 volts and we're just starting to look into those because um, that could be some way of getting the quality of dimming right. Because on the main side, when you've got the main stimming on board, it's it's still a bit sort of juddery uh, in the same way as land-based projects are. Mm -hmm. But having a low voltage lamp is so much better because you can dim the thing right down yeah. and get it um, get it really warm. But yeah, it's a similar thing. And, and the design approach is the same, really, isn't it? Just yeah. quite, typically, the products are different. They need different specs. There's different ceiling void thicknesses and things like that. We've got to be sensitive for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and in terms of the process, who hires you for that project? Because obviously there are a number of designers. There's obviously the client. Are you doing the design for all of those designers in terms of all of those spaces, or is it just what sort of segregates to one area? What's the scope of work on that? On those, so for example, take Queen Anne Cunard, for example, are you working on the whole ship or are you just working on an individual area? Majority of our work on ships, yeah, we're, we're fortunate that we take on the whole thing, <clears> same as with the land based projects. Um, we work with all the you know, David Collins, Richmond, um, a lot of those guys. There's a, there's a lot of interior designers, SMC. Um, who do they all have to sign off the same like parts of the project then in terms of what what goes through with the lighting or at the end of the day I guess it's the client that decides it depends which client it is mm. yeah ultimately the client and the designers have a say well we work with them on a lot of land-based projects mm. anyway so we know what they want they know what we want and, and how get... helpful is that collaborative effort between studios and or design studios and yourself? Obviously, you guys, your, your background comes from design and graphic uh, 3D design. So, you know, you must have a, you kind of must work the same way intrinsically. Um, I think we do, yeah. I think there's a... a I said there's a, there's a harmony, isn't there? And for the best the best schemes will come about because, you know, the, everyone's kind of talking and integrating. And I, I see... The design team is one big team it's not just lighting interior architecture it's one team all communicating sharing ideas sharing thoughts you know sketching over the top of things that's how you get the best schemes i think so and also i think we're not we're not you know not prima donna designers no. i think we're, we're pretty good designers there's a lot of great lighting designers and you know i wouldn't take anything away from that there's obviously some bad ones as well like there are architects and interior designers but, um, you know, most of the designers we work with and clients are really lovely, really good bunch. And um, they, you know, they listen to us. Like I said, even if they are the sort of, you know, the, the superstars of the interior design industry, they're still human and they want the best product. They want their best interiors. Yeah. And, and we would, you know, typically never suggest anything that's going to make it look bad. Um, yeah, so I think also the design has to work so closely with the architecture and the interior yeah. design. It all has to sort of marry together. Therefore, the conversations have to marry together. It's just interesting yeah. that if there was a particular, like one designer, for example, that was really against uh, you going down a certain direction with the lighting, how how would that have worked? Obviously, that didn't happen. But what what happens then? Well, no, you <laughs> yeah, say that. you say that. I won't take any names, but like I said, the majority of it's a newish one that we worked on a big. A big ship, which is, you know, inter inter interestingly enough, we thought it was going to be a disaster. And it actually is a big, ugly ship. I mean, lots of these ships are. There's some really quite refined ones. 
uh, Marcel Francis designed uh, one of the ships and he, you know, he's, he's added that element of design to the ship rather than it being a big floating tower block. It's, you know, something a bit more elegant than, than that. Uh, quite a lot more, I should say, just in case he's, he's going to be listening in on this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the some interior designers are just like, they, it's like you need to bash their heads against the wall until they understand that, you know, we've been doing this for, you know, 60 odd years and they've only been dabbling with lighting. So I would say 99% of the interior designers understand it. And there's just like one or two out there that are just, you know, they're doing their own thing. Never going to change. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we still got to work with them. We work together. And we're, we're somewhat reliant upon their material. You know, we, we can't design a lighting scheme without, you know, the fundamental interior scheme where the pictures are, where the furniture mm -hmm. is. You know, we can't light an empty space. It's it's dull, it's boring, it's unimaginative. So, you know, we we we're kind of waiting for their stuff to come through. We've got things realigned because we we um you know selfishly interfere. I always say this, you know, we interfere yeah. with whether it's decorative lighting or just the way things look because we're trying to make it look a lot better. Yeah, I think so. And I think also the thing that brings everyone together is there is a lot of misconceptions in this industry between interior designers, lighting designers, for example. And, you know, I, the misconception could be that lighting designers are very scientific when it comes to, you know, designing spaces. But actually, as you've mentioned, you're very human centric. Mark mentioned about us painting with light. It sounds a bit sort of pretentious, but it's so true. Mm. And if you don't get the right paint, you don't get the right end result. Yeah. So that's why we're sort of interested in finding out what's the new technology and, you know, can we afford it? Mm -hmm. uh, no, we can't because, you know, like these, in, in terms of what we're talking about, these, uh, what are they called? The sort of skylights? Yeah, sort of, yeah. Barasol's kind of ceiling, skylights. And yeah, I mean, they were just unaffordable. Yeah. Whereas now there's Colux. more than one Colux. That's exactly. what I'm thinking of, yeah. There's more than one company now. So instantly it becomes more competitive and we yeah. can start to use that product yeah. or remote control lighting. You know, there's a couple of other companies now that do that. Yeah. Do you um, find it's um, a, a positive that there are more companies offering more solutions or do you feel as if it is it harder to actually understand the manufacturing process behind it? I mean, I'm talking more in terms of like understanding the ethical values of these brands and manufacturers. There seems to be a lot of more suppliers out there than ever before. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think it obviously drives competition. Um, drives the price prices. down, I guess. Yeah, it does bring mm. the prices down. Uh, we again, we, we will see a shift over the next few years into kind of circular, um, circular economy of products and how um, you know local build, local manufacturer is going to come through quite a lot. You know, we won't be just specifying any old thing. It'll be right. What's the closest? manufacturer you can make that to where it's going to be installed and what's the lifespan and can it be recycled mm -hmm. so you know those sort of things will start to weedle out some of the you know trash at the bottom mm -hmm. um and you'll probably see a few more core companies really <coughs> go forward um and, and do a very good job of that um so that's exciting to see um Definitely. But yeah, technology, it is technical. You know, there are technical elements to lighting, you know, get your trigonometry out and all those kind of fun stuff. Um, but fundamentally, you know, it's, it's about it's people. It's, it's yeah, it's people, mm. it's spaces, it's feeling, it's emotion. There's so many strands to it. One project that I've noticed, but I, I see it a lot in your work anyway, and actually in lighting design in general, is like the integration within architecture, as you referenced yeah. earlier, is becoming so much more prevalent than, yeah. than it ever has before. As someone who experiences these spaces it's nice to just sort of feel comforted and I don't know it's almost like your shoulders 
relax as you walk in as opposed to feeling like you're sort of walking into an arena yeah well i, I think that like the, the reason i was getting onto it and i'd forgotten about it sorry um is that their thoughts and i think a lot of designers have got the same sort of approach you know minimize any lighting that you can see lighting equipment so that means down lights for me anyway down lights if you've got a linear line of light hide it where you can and then let all the decorative elements so basically light those spaces beautifully so brush a bit of light here a bit of light there mm -hmm. and um uh, celebrate all the decorative lighting. I want to pick your brains on um, retail, which is a really interesting space for me because I feel like things are moving on quite quickly in retail, quicker than hotels, and and it's very much quickly. Well, it's becoming all about the experience, less about buying necessarily in the shop as opposed to kind of like experiencing the brand and then kind of you know seeing what that is. Lighting in retail used to be about shining the spotlight on the product. How, how has that changed recently and, and what are you seeing in terms of the developments there and is there space for circadian lighting in retail or is it all about the focus on the products and the experience there and then? That's uh, tricky. Uh, I mean certain brands like particular colours um, so you've got to be careful with color tuning in certain environments you know because you might have a particular packaging or, or there might be a season of colors and you shifting color could really jar and make the product look terrible so that's going to be complicated maybe there's a call for it in some of the changing rooms and some of those areas where you know you want to be you know see what it's like in the day and then maybe the colors tuning and you see what it's like at night and how it sparkles differently in the sort of warmer light so maybe in that more people focused environment it could work but from a product perspective it's probably very complex would you agree with that i i think so i was just i was just remembering a, a um, hotel i stayed at recently in amsterdam um i can't remember what it's called now it's over the water from the the main station they had in the lift they had um like a disco you could you know so at night time the, the the mirror ball comes on and all that sort of thing um so you know and it's just you know having things at the right time of day mm. that work you know if you have it in the morning coming down for breakfast it's not going to work clearly and then the floor was this sort of checkerboard old 1970s dance floor so you know that came alive at night as well so I think exactly what you're saying is mm. that you know you have it um for a purpose you know don't, don't just do it because it's you know what have I seen lately that's interesting I hate that sort of thought that mm. you know you're mm. reading through a magazine and you, you see something you then regurgitate it yeah. and use it on all of your projects I mean that's not design that's just no. like plagiarism straight away whereas if you've got a good story yeah and this is where the narrative comes in and I think that's the way we, we tend to work if there's a narrative in the at the start of the project let's jump onto the back of that in a good way make sure that we're ticking all the brief boxes but let's add to it and say, look, no, no, let, let's not have this, this narrative that you're talking about for breakfast because it's more relevant for the evening. Mm -hmm. But maybe mm -hmm. let's try this instead because it's got a good, good connection. And I think, <clears throat> in, in particularly in hotels, you, you have this is an opportunity, you know, because you you've got this sort of tracking of people. You know where they've come from, what flights they've been on. You know, you know how much they've been outside. You do you do have a lot of data that you could start to say okay this person's been on a plane and they've not had any daylight let's let's pump a bit of blue light into their room to awake them at the right time you know there's those kind of things but for me you don't want to feel manipulated in an environment no you also so, want the control to be on the, the yeah, consumer to have control absolutely on that. Yeah. yeah but then you know there might be there might be this you know 
iPad or tablet where you can, you know, it says, oh, are you feeling tired? Do you want a bit more, you know, press a button and, you know, it just cools a bit or it warms down just to make you feel a bit more relaxed. Mm. It's that that kind of introduction, bringing it in in that way is probably the right way. It Um, it would be really interesting for a brand just to go all out and just spend loads of its budget on circadian lighting to then understand the data as to how much the consumer then uses to then understand moving forward, you know, what what the correct way would be in terms of how much you, you inject in. We're kind of running out of time, but I really want to understand from your lighting designer perspectives where you think circadian lighting will will go next you know i stayed in a hotel last year where it was integrated into the guest room and it genuinely was a transformative experience and it was really nice to be able to control how much lighting was was coming in and also to to feel like it was a soft experience it it would be lovely to see guest rooms you know use that in the future and for that to be commonplace i guess it just takes one brand to make the mark and then others will follow I, th- I think that is the case. You were talking about we were talking about Schiphol. Um, the Citizen M in Schiphol's um, we're working with the same interior designers who designed that ten years ago plus, and that was where you had an iPad. I think it's typical of their design. You have an iPad and you can change the color of the of the um, shower. You can yeah. change the you know you can mm-hmm. do all the blinds and all that sort of thing. So I think I think the ideas are there. I think it's just sort of trying to sell. That's it. so fascinating, though, um, working with the same designers who worked on it ten years to understand what they would do differently now. So much mm-hmm. has changed, hasn't it? Culturally, you know, behaviorally, technology, everything's changed around us. So, what have they scaled back more now on the design? Would you say? Well, no. Well, there is a the um the clients actually bought for this one hotel that we're working on at the moment. We've, we're working on a couple of hotel, three hotels with the same interior design and the client as well. Um, they are investing a lot into the um, setup of the rooms um, so that the both the client and the operator can understand who's in the room. Yeah. They can set it so that it's not complicated. Control is, you know, it's like, seamless, hasn't it? It's got to be seamless yeah. and really idiot proof. Yeah. So exactly what you're saying about the, um, uh, the ability to tailor something to clients. They're doing this now so that it doesn't have to be a negative. If you've got a client who's regularly over in, in that hotel, coming over from where, wherever they're coming, Nisa or West, mm-hmm. um, they can you know, they can choose what they wanna have there. And also the food, so it's not just the lighting, it's the same as a restaurant. Yeah. You get one of those elements wrong and it's a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So you know, from as you walk into the hotel, if you've got a really good experience from the receptionist, concierge at a restaurant the room set up lighting, how you like it everything until yeah. you sit there and you sip your first beer or a glass whatever it is that's ready there in in, in your room mm. um so it's, it's hard it's hard work you know we have a, a fairly easy job to be honest because this is what we do is lighting mm. whereas hotel operators you know they're dealing with all of us lot mm. plus they've got to deal with all of their clients who are you know you know, really lovely ones down to the awful ones that are really sort of demanding. So you've got to you've got to make sure the really demanding ones get what they want ultimately, unless you can kick them out. Um, but you know, they're not they're not in that sort of um, business. They've got to make sure everyone is happy. Yeah, and for interior designers listening to this podcast, what would help you when you get a brief from an interior designer to do the lighting scheme? What what is it that you really want to see and that really sort of like helps you go beyond you know convention in order to create a lighting scheme that works for the project? I just think sometimes it's the clients, they've got a budget, you know, all the stakeholders have, have got to be sold an idea. So I think a lot of it does come down to the money. 
because mm -hmm. I think there's so many, all the interior designers we've talked about, completely um, progressive and they want the best, best product. Um, mm. I, don't know. I, th I think I think I think it would be great for clients to really get on board with just the whole dimming. Like that should be a standard yeah. in every room. Like yes, that, like yeah. and it's not the amount of luxury hotels I go to, and it's just it's clearly been taken out of the, you know, yeah. the idea and value engineering stages. But mm. you know, it's it's just such a. I know it's not simple behind the scenes, but as a consumer, it's it's so much more helpful just having a, a space you can dim. Yeah, I think five years ago, that, that would have been my answer. But now I'm trying to think of the last hotel project where we didn't have dimming within the rooms. Yeah, it's probably quite a standard in your uh, the way in which you work, though. They And also yeah. the way you, you explain it to clients, they probably really understand, actually, that it is needs to be part of the room. But even now, I you know, new hotels switches everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah um, uh, uh, just you talked about sort of the future as well and another thing i i think about a lot is that we're probably only just scratching the surface of this circadian you know color tuning there's much if you think about daylight it's so much more dynamic than just the color of the light changing you know there's there's shadows there's the sun's moving the shadows are moving in across and the seasons room. as well seasons I mean, change look at so, the morning in the uk <laughs> absolutely yeah so for me that you know this is just the the, the start you know the next thing is you know intensity changing and then it's movement and you know it's this dynamic you know lighting that's, that's changing you might walk down a corridor at one time and it might be lit differently to when you walk down it another time you know mm. that, that for me is real kind of human-centric circadian lighting and I think we're we're just on, on the brink of that really it's just starting. Are you working with clients now that would be able to integrate that into their scheme? Are there clients that are fully on board and will you know because that's an amazing concept, so, you know, the corridor changing throughout the day and you seeing it differently at different times. Yeah, there will be. I mean, the, the, you mentioned about the ships. I think the ships are interesting because yeah. they've typically all got an atrium and there's no daylight there. Yeah. So introducing yeah. an often they'd have some feature, whether it's a feature staircase or a feature piece of art. Mm. So as soon as you've I think also the lovely thing about ships is there's no... Um, uh, there's there's no inspiration of a place to reference like right. that's the first thing designers would normally do if they're designing a hotel on land is find oh, yeah. a clever way to reference the sense of place whereas ships can't do that therefore i think it allows the lighting to work harder in order to create those moments of you know amazement as well as art as you said definitely yeah i, I think i'm an answer to the question um i don't i can't think of a project where we've got that ability at the moment where we could say we've, we've done that level of technology, we've done similar things external, where you have triggers that turn things on, yeah. and, you know. So there's that, that sort of level of creativeness. But yeah, I mean, it would be great. If we will get there with it. And like I so said, some of the ships, you know, they've got dynamic lighting, but they're probably more colour changing dynamics, you know, maybe RGB or yeah. something like that. And, you know, I think we're moving away a little bit from that. And with, with this more sort of natural mm. kind of approach, I think it sits really well. And, and yeah, I'm sure there'll be some on the horizon. Well, I think a spa is a good good yeah. place to start on a hotel, for example. Mm. And then seeing ships, they have they have spas. So that would be, I think, a good, good, good starting point. So ra rather than it always being moody, you know, because there's a, a train of thought that, you know, some of the spa operators they you know they know we want it to be moody that's that's always the way it's been but hold on you've been doing this for 30 years if you never thought about doing something a little bit different it doesn't yeah. have to be a complete jump but no. you know it's a good application yeah also different places in the world you know mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, so there's, uh, and the good thing with lighting control is you can change things. I know ships are slightly different because you never know where they are in terms of, you know, the, the sunset and sunrise and all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that we should be actively pushing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've, we've run out of time, but it's been really interesting just to understand the actual conversations you're having with clients and, and for us to kind of paint a picture as to where we're, we're heading with circadian lighting. Um, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Michael. You're welcome. That's okay. Thanks again for, for having us on. Michael and Mark are at the curve of something really exciting in lighting design, I think, and I can really sense how they work together as a team. But I think what's more telling than anything is their approach to ensure that technology is injected into a project with meaning and purpose and to just enhance how a space works for the people that are using it. Hilton Amsterdam Schiphol is just one example of unconventional lighting going beyond its function to become a working piece of art. I loved capturing that moment, that experience back in 2015 when I reviewed the hotel. Little at the time did I know then that the lighting designers I'll be speaking to a few years later, but it's a real sort of full circle moment, I think. If you've enjoyed this episode, then why not subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a single episode in the future? Join us next time where we'll be meeting more designers and visionaries who are pushing the boundaries and breaking rules.